to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We talking about Welcome back to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am David Murphy, columnist with the Philadelphia Daily News, joined here by Michael Sielski, your APSC award-winning columnist from Richborough. No, no, Jamison, Bucks, County. Your Stan Hockman award-winning columnist. Yeah, that was uh, that was nice to find out. Was I was walking in. I was so so just to set the scene because it's 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 a heck of a scene. Um, we're in an office and we have microphones in front of us, and it's a we're in a broom closet. It's a Monday <laughs> afternoon. Um, the Eagles have just interviewed, uh, or, or are in the process of interviewing Tom Coughlin, um, which is just. Yeah, presumably at a diner over, um, yeah. you know, half-price lunches. Hopefully he's sitting with his back against the wall. <laughs> Little Sopranos. Um, anyway, so they, so they interviewed Doug Peterson on, on Saturday or Sunday. I guess Sunday, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's where we're at. So we're not, you know... The we don't want to jump the gun, yeah. basically. We the don't want to spend a lot of time discussing the merits of Tom Coughlin or Doug Peterson or another candidate and then have this podcast drop and have the Eagles having hired somebody else or whatever. Yeah, I mean if we, if we if we if we uh, drop this on iTunes on Monday afternoon and they hire a coach on Monday night and we spend the entire podcast talking about the merits of Tom Coughlin and they hire Doug Peterson, then it's kind of worthless. I I get the sense, maybe I've just cuz I've talked myself into it that, that Doug Peterson is going to be the guy. Um yeah, and you you had a if you shoot, if you go on philly.com on the sports page you can read Murph's got a really good piece about um, why Doug Peterson might actually be a really good candidate for the Eagles head coaching job, raised some points I hadn't thought about. Um, you kind of give the, the the coaching tree of who he's worked yeah, with I and mean, the resources he could tap into. Um, I mean, if you look at it, and, and so so now to, to kind of segue into uh, into what we're actually going to talk about, um, you know, I was thinking about this stuff yesterday while I was watching the uh, wildcard round playoffs. And I, I kind of always end up watching things from the perspective of how does this relate to mm-hmm. Philadelphia sports? Um, I might have kind of been that way my entire life, I think. I think uh, everybody in the Philadelphia I area. would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, most people do that. Although I don't think but I was most thinking, people I don't think most people in this region do it often enough. Right, right, right. But you I was know. yeah. But I was thinking about it in particular with regard to a guy named Mike Zimmer, who is the Vikings head coach, um, and who frankly was not a hot, hot name last year. Um I mean, at least not hot like Gus Bradley was hot or hot right. like Chip Kelly was hot um, or even hot like Mike McCoy was hot. Not like hot like Adam Gase was hot. I mean, he was kind of just like that. Uh, I mean, he was kind of like a Ron Rivera type. I, I, right. I think. He was a guy that teams were considering, but you didn't. He wasn't the flavor of the month. He wasn't wowing them, you know, within the last year or two and, and seeing his profile like just raised to the point where it's like oh this guy came out of nowhere like he's a shooting star or something you know and then he went up against a coach um you know who was kind of that hot i mean that 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 came from nowhere the Pete carroll thing the year it happened um but you know clearly he had he had a heck of a profile and could have made the jump to to an nfl team whenever he wanted towards the end there at at usc but you know the thing that the thing that keeps jumping out at me and, and and it even goes back to the Eagles, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that Bucks loss in the NFC Championship game um, when I was watching that uh, Vikings, Vikings Seahawks, Seahawks game because it was pretty much the same type of game. Um, I mean, maybe not as cold. I don't remember exactly what the temperature was that day, but the fact of the matter is the offenses combined for, what, 23 points, and yeah. then Rondé Barber kind of sealed it. What was well, it? no, they combined for uh, – they it was 20 to 10 when Barber – Okay, all right, so they combined off. for 30 points. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, but one of them was that big play with Joe Jervicious, and right. and frankly, it, it just looked like you were watching. I mean, two teams that weren't going to score, weren't going to move the ball at all. Right. And you know, it just got me thinking about as offensive as the game supposedly is. Not offensive as in yo mama. Offensive <laughs> as in like throw the ball down the field. It was really the defenses that that stole the show um, over Wildcard Weekend. Um, at least yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you certainly make that argument in the Seattle-Minnesota game. And you could now, you have to temper that argument by the fact that it was so cold, 
that if you play that game in Seattle, maybe it's a maybe it's more 28-24 game. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not because those teams aren't aren't really. But Alex that Smith way. only threw for 150 yards against the Texans. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say the Texans were awful. I'm the Texans, sorry, the Texans were awful. <laughs> um, I would make an I think argument. I, bro- I think I think I broke that story in week yeah, three. Yeah, I, I would make an argument that. Following up on what you said, I would make an argument that the Redskins-Packers game turned on defense, though. As soon as Deshaun Jackson didn't get – I'm not just saying this because Deshaun Jackson's a lightning rod in Philadelphia. But once he didn't get in the end zone on that crossing route when it's 2-0 Redskins, and once the Packers make that stand, that game changed. That Mm -hmm. game completely reversed. That goes from being it's going to be 9-0 Redskins, um, you know, maybe 10-0 if they go for two at that point, and the Packers are on their heels to, hey, momentum shifts – Big defensive stand. It's only five nothing, and we still have Aaron Rodgers. So, so there's that. Certainly, the Cincinnati Pittsburgh game was just a slobber knocking, you know, kill or be killed kind of game. And um, you know, Kansas City took the ball away from Brian Hoyer, which isn't all that difficult to do, but they still did it. So, good yeah, for it was them. it was funny. I saw a headline that said Brian Brian Hoyer colon one game does not define my career. Yeah, well, guess what? Yeah, my my response was like, you know, theoretically, I think you're correct. Like. Uh, you know, one game X does not define does not necessarily define one but, person Y's career. But in terms of Brian Hoyer, yeah, that game damn well defines his career. <laughs> I right. mean, that the, it really and, does. And it's you know we joke, but uh, you know this has been my argument all year with regards to uh, Sam Bradford. Uh, the Texans had a guy named Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, of course, both teams just want – I've been using this argument all year, and then in the last three weeks of the season, both teams completely messed it up for me, so I right. can't even really use it anymore. But the fact is the Texans traded away Ryan Fitzpatrick, who whatever you think of him, uh, whatever you think of the wedding ring, whatever you think of the beard, he, he's capable everywhere he goes. Yeah. Um, and, and they got rid of him, and they traded him to the Jets. And, and for a while, I mean, the Jets went 10-6. and six. The Jets had a better team than the Texans this year. They just happened to be in the wrong division. Um fact is you would take ryan fitzpatrick's 2015 over the combination of brian hoyers and ryan mallett's 2015 any day of the week and the point with regards to bradford is that when you get rid of a guy who has already at least shown himself to be capable um, who has already shown himself that he can take a team to at least the brink of the play uh, actually did he take them to the playoffs last year fitzpatrick uh, no okay but he took them i mean they were in that conversation yeah um i think bill brian i think bill o'brien's like a wizard by the way what oh, well, he, guess what? What, <laughs> what he's done with that that team. But that's that's besides the point. The point is you do not get rid of a capable quarterback or a bird in the hand because there's a very good chance you end up with Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mount at the top of your depth. And point. I actually think that, that these playoffs have, I would hope at this point, proven to Eagles fans. Jonathan Tannehill, The value of Sam way. Bradford. I don't know if we ever introduced well, Jonathan Tannehill. It's fine. You, you don't have to. But. It, it's interesting you mention that because I think, you know, Mur- Murph and I were – kicking around ideas this morning about what to discuss and, and to keep the, the podcast kind of timeless with all the shifting that's going on and the possible change coming with the Eagles hiring a head coach. And he came up with a really good idea, which was... It was David Bowie, greatest living rock star. <laughs> I was going to say, I knew that was going to get in here sooner or later. Uh, all right, but uh, but all what right, we came up with was, what are the takeaways from the wild card weekend that you could apply to the Eagles? What are the kind of grand sweeping pronouncements that you might be able to make that have some legitimacy and value in saying, okay, look at what happened to these four games over the weekend. And what kind of conclusions or statements can you make that the Eagles could learn from and draw from as they move forward, whether it's in hiring a coach, changing a system, whatever. I got one. All right. They could have won this division fairly easily. Kirk Cousins, you know, as, as well as that team played down the stretch, as well as they played out of the gate yesterday, and they did take the lead later in that game, by the way. Yeah. Um, he didn't beat a team with a winning record all year. Yeah. And he's got a noodle arm. And, but but he's, he, he is able, look, he is able to competently manage that team against bad teams, right. which is at least a step further than they've been for the last who knows how long. Yeah, I mean, Kirk, but, Cous- Kirk, but, Cous- Kirk Cousins is a, is a, there is no doubt that Kirk Cousins is a very legitimate NFL backup quarterback. And, I think that if any team puts his lot puts its lot in him for anything more than that, then I mean, well, look, they're about to. It seems he's got it. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any sources down there, but but you know, I know what the conventional wisdom says. Um, and frankly, I mean, again, we get back to the Bradford conundrum where Kirk Cousins probably is their best shot. But the fact is, there's a there's a ceiling on Kirk Cousins, and and, and I think 
that ceiling does not exist with regard to Sam Bradford and anybody who suggests that the Eagles would, you know, somehow be better off signing Kirk Cousins over Sam Bradford. Right. Like that's just, that was my, that was my biggest takeaway from the weekend that Sam Bradford would have been the fourth best, was better than five quarterbacks that start, that, that started games. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Brian Hoyer, McCarron, Hoyer, um, Alex Smith. I put Alex Smith in there, although I think I think, I he, I think he is like I, push. I think he I think actually Alex Smith is like the carbon copy of Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford just has a better ability and willingness to throw the ball down the field. Here's, yeah. here's here's what I think that Smith and Cousins have in common: players around them who keep them on their feet, and once they catch the ball, take off with it down the field. Yeah, generally speaking, I mean, you know, Smith. People undersell. I, I do think people undersell Kansas City's weapons. I mean, you know. Kelsey's a really good tight end. Macklin is an excellent receiver. Yeah. You know, they've done what they've done without Jamal Charles, which, you know, leads them leads you to believe their offensive line is pretty darn good. Right, but both um, those guys are better than the top two weapons on the Eagles. Exactly. So so there's that. The takeaway, I, one of the top takeaways, I, I had two, um, and then we can get to Murph's because I know Murph has thought about this long and hard. Um, I don't know about hard. <laughs> the first one was um, the takeaway of, and this is going to kind of a roundabout way to get there, but the damage that letting Ed Manowitz go, in addition to letting Chip Kelly go, might do. In that, in in this regard, you watch particularly that Cincinnati Pittsburgh game. You watch um, some of that Green Bay game with Clay Matthews. You watch what Kansas City has done on defense all year and did to the Texans. Texans, you know, albeit a bad team. You watch Minnesota and Seattle go back and forth, particularly Seattle. Those defenses have nasty guys on them every single one the eagles i would argue maybe aside from fletcher cox don't have a guy like that yeah, i completely even i who don't watch the team that much i completely agree with and that. so i and, think i think malcolm jenkins is a nasty guy okay all right so let's say two all right but overall why. i'm not sure overall they you yeah. would qualify their defense as in, mm. in that regard no no and i would argue that it hasn't been that way for a very long time since at least you know at a minimum since Brian Dawkins left and but even he, he was only one guy on that team there are plenty of other right. such guys on that team where if you look go back Sheldon to and, yeah, yeah 99 there's 2000 attitude, yeah. there's just an attitude about it and so to bring that back to Manowitz here was a guy who had been hired before Chip Kelly got here who had earned the trust of Andy Reid and Howie Roseman presumably to come on board in their player personnel department and his only sin over the last few years was that Chip Kelly liked him Chip Kelly trusted him. He became the guy who was going to help Chip build the team. And they're one year into it, and now he's gone. And so my issue with that is if you have struggled to build a defense with, as the kids like to say today, some dog in it, here is a guy I doing have things. Never a li- heard, I have never heard anybody say that. <laughs> I, was, I, you, I, you, I think you may be mixing your... Uh, maybe you, I have, you have my, my interest peaked here. The idea um, being that Manowitz might have brought in something different to player personnel evaluation than the Howie Roseman template. Yes, but it's clear that he was not going to be able to get away with it, given how much power Howie Roseman had. At least you had a chance. Well, here's here's I At wonder. Least you had a I wonder if you just implicit and we're we're not supposed to talk about head coach candidates, lest the Eagles make a decision I mean, while I don't we're recording. A, I don't but have a gun here. Did you just implicitly endorse Sean McDermott? No, no, no. I'm not implicitly or ex- explicitly endorsing anybody because that defense had some of his. Fingerprints on it, did it not? Which defense? The nasty one. Or would are you no. talking about before he was? No, no. no. Okay. I'm talking about I'm talking about when the Eagles were really good in the in the early 2000s with Douglas and Trotter and Dawkins and Vincent and Taylor and those guys. I mean, there were a lot of guys on that team who let you know they were there. So earlier, week. earlier, yeah, than okay. yeah. And and since Roseman has come to power and big and been a major you know, part of their thought process in drafting players, their defense year after year hasn't had that. And I wonder if Manowitz might have gotten, might have been a guy who might have gotten them back towards that in some way, and now we won't have the opportunity to find out. I don't know that he would have. I'm just saying that he was he was coming at things a little bit differently, I think, I suspect, and uh, and now he's not here, so we won't know. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know Ed Manowitz very well at all. Uh, I actually wouldn't even be able to tell you what he looks like, but... Um, I can't because I had to find all the pictures of him for our website. But other than that, <laughs> go ahead. It's uh, it, I here. Here's my opinion on the whole thing. And and Manowitz is Manis is one of the reasons why I think that at this point we still don't know the whole story of why Chip Kelly was mm-hmm. fired and and you know how it came to be. 
because again, I mean, you, you can't explain away the fact that it happened on a Tuesday night instead of a Monday after right. the guy had already coached practice. Right. I mean, I have no doubt that they had already decided that they were going to fire him at some point, but, but there's to do it then, something happened. Some, yeah. Something happened that prompted not just Chip Kelly being fired, but two of his support staff and right. Ed Manowitz. Um, so it's like, so that makes it very tough to even really evaluate the decision to part with Manowitz since it happened on the same Tuesday night in conjunction with Chip Kelly. You know, I don't know what happened. Uh, I, I feel like there was some sort of acute trauma that that <laughs> that may have rendered him unemployable um, or whatever, but, but whatever, whatever the case. I also did not see enough out of him in terms of uh, there's just nothing that he, he, he brought to the table that made you believe that really he, he was any different from Howie Roseman. And one, one of my big problems with his, you know, not necessarily alignment with Chip Kelly, but um, he's a college guy, mm-hmm. Ed Manowitz. He, uh, you know, he spent a little time, I think, in the Dolphin scouting department, but he came from Alabama. Um, you know, he was a college quarterback at UCF and the LaSalle University. Um, and I think one of the big failures of Chip Kelly was that he did not know what an NFL player looked like. Um, Maybe. I think that... I think that you need. I, I I think it's comparative analysis. The the, the draft and, and looking at a player in college and projecting how he will look against players in the pros. And Chip Kelly, frankly, watched less. And when he was hired as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Chip Kelly had seen vastly less football than most of us. You know, because he was spending his time watching college football. You know, and you need to be able to. There's a certain baseline of talent that is required out of an NFL player that I'm not sure Chip Kelly had a feel for. And, you know, by proxy, I'm not sure Ed Manowitz had a feel for. And, and this all goes back to one thing. It's Miles Austin. Because Miles Austin clearly, it, it did, anybody who had watched NFL football watched Miles Austin on the first couple of days of training camp and could see that he just did not belong out there. Like, he was shot. He just did not have, he, he, he looked exactly like the player you saw during the regular season. And that's, maybe sounds silly and it's a small sample size, but the fact is somebody looked at him and said, yeah, he can play for our team. Um, at a position of some importance too. Yeah. And the same thing with, you know, and the same thing goes for like a, a Jordan Matthews and a Josh Huff. I like Jordan Matthews. I think Josh Huff might be the first guy gone this year. Um, but the fact is there are a lot that, that is a wide, that was a draft that was loaded with NFL wide receivers. And they picked two guys that were very much, in the college mode, in the system mode, in the that that lacked that X factor explosiveness. I'm not that done got with whoa, 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 yeah. just relax. Um, they did not have that X factor explosive playmaking ability. Um, you know, I always go back to Allen Robinson. Like to me, that's what he had that you can't measure. Like the ability to go up and get a ball. He single handedly made Christian Hackenberg. People think Christian Hackenberg was a top five NFL draft pick. I mean, he could he could make plays. You know, he was, he had what Martavis Bryant showed, um, you know, against the Bengals, somersaulting and making that catch. Jordan Matthews doesn't have that. I like Jordan Matthews. I think he's going to be a solid, you know, he'll be a solid player, solid slot receiver. But John Brown has that. You know, there's, there's, there's just this NFL X factor and it's, you know, explosiveness, playmaking ability, speed, burst, first step, whatever you want to call it, um, that I'm not sure that Ed Manowitz knew how to identify. Uh, well, I mean, if we're going to go on sample size, I'm not sure. A year of Manowitz as the head of the player personnel department, you know, or under Kelly um, is necessarily the no. greatest sample size to judge. I mean, you're right about Austin. Oh, I know, but I'm you, not. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I, only saying that I, I didn't see any reason to think that he, you know, he was a. But po- now we'll never know. He was a positive or a negative. Okay. But A, now we'll never know unless he goes somewhere else and does it for somebody else. B, he was fairly well regarded around the league. Um, he had worked in other, you know, the, yeah. when the, you know, as somebody who. You know, the word, the phrase up and comer was used quite a bit with him. So presumably you don't put him in place for a year and then whack him. You know, you put him in place for a year and let him come up, presumably. Um, so there's that. I mean, we can go back and forth about that. But just the idea of, you know, the Eagles talk about creative tension and talk about getting different ideas in the room. To me, Manowitz represented that merely by his alignment with Kelly. And now that's gone. And now the likelihood that you're going to get somebody else in there who's in lockstep with what Roseman wants done, the chances of that are far greater. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I this was always my argument against regime change. Uh, you know, you know, I think, but I think, frankly, what they need more than anything else, uh, they they need a guy that that has something that Roseman and and Manowitz both did not have, which again is that that base knowledge, just that like that 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 memory bank. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in, I mean, yeah. this is how the, we're analytical people. We, 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 you know, our entire existence is based on judging, you know, one thing compared to another. Um, and the fact that their skills, the fact that Howie Spent is came up as a guy, you know, in a windowless office, you know, looking at Joe Banner's contracts and Manowitz came up, you know, in the Alabama personnel department. I, I just don't think that they have been around enough modern organ and, and and that's why tom donahoe i don't necessarily think that's ha- what i say what what's his i don't know what he did right but i, I don't but he's got I experience don't, he has experience but i don't know that it's the type of experience i'm talking about because he really hasn't done anything since 1999 right. and the game has changed the game has changed as the kids say um since 1999 and and again kids don't say that either okay <laughs> and kids talk about kids talk about dog I did, the players game. have a dog they don't talk about it things have changed but again i go back to the i wrote a little bit about this last week you know comparing just just re- reflecting on the steelers hiring of mike tomlin and to me the steelers are the most stable organization in the nfl they're the best organization in the nfl and again look at look at martavis bryant you know look at antonio brown Look, just look at that lineage of receivers that they've had. Look at the sustained success that they've had. Look at the fact that they've only had three coaches. I want someone who knows how to put those kinds of players. And, you know, Martavius Bryant has something that Jordan Matthews does not have. You need someone who knows what that is and how to identify it. Okay. And again, I, I, I'm not writing Jordan Matthews off, but I'm just saying I don't think he's ever going to catch a somersaulting pass through the end zone. I just think he was miscast as the top receiver. He, I think you're absolutely right. As a slot guy, as, as that, yeah. he's fine, but not as the, not as the explosive Yeah, I'm not. This is nothing against them. It's against the person. It, 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 it's saying that this Eagles roster lacks that whatever. I call it the X factor. You know, sure. You, you know it when you see it. Martavis Bryan has it. Antonio Brown has it. Allen Robinson has it. Uh, John Brown has it. Just that, like that ability to make a play. And Deshaun Jackson had it. Lashawn McCoy had it. Mm. Um, you know, I, I frankly, I'm not sure that Jeremy Macklin has it. But like, not everybody. I mean, but but he's a steady enough player that that again, no one's going to expect him to be that guy. You're not. You're not. You're not. You know, looking for Jeremy Macklin to I, go up, to go up over triple coverage and make a play. I, I could but, argue, but, and this might be one of the reasons why Washington ultimately won the division. Jordan Reed has just enough of it that it yeah, got him over the yeah. line. Jordan Reed's yeah. definitely. It's like compared Jordan Reed. Like again. This is my whole thing with Zach Ertz. Nothing against him. He's a nice player, but he's just a guy because he doesn't have that, you know, whatever. Whatever you saw to Jordan Reed against the Eagles, like Zach, Zach Ertz does not have that. He'll take, what, he'll take what the defense gives him, but he won't take anything for himself. And I think that's what this Eagles team lacks is guys who will take things for themselves. You always heard the, 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 the thing that bothered me the most about Chip Kelly um, and I and I really do believe he, he wasn't blowing smoke. He really did believe this. About, he, he talked about I know where you're gonna the go. game expressing itself yep, and yep. like, you know, well that you know yeah. we went over the middle because that's what they were allowing us to do. You know, we went, you know, the outside receivers, you know, they were taking away the outside receivers. You know, they're 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 weak in the middle. They're not in the NFL, you need to be able to dictate right what other teams do. You need them to be saying you know, like you need them to like put three guys on Calvin Johnson in the red zone, because guess what? That opens up everything else. And that my friend leads to one of my points. Um, did you watch that? Did you watch uh, Earl Thomas um, going from one, basically one hash mark to the, yeah. the other side of the field, yeah. basically to I make think, a play? I think it was Jarek McKinnon. Uh, it was one of it was one of the non-Adrian Peterson running backs came out of the backfield and pretty much I don't know if it was actually a wheel route or not, but it was like right down the hash mark, uh, you know. And and Teddy Bridgewater lofted a fine pass. Um, the guy got ahead of Cam. That's why I think it was McKinnon because he he, he beat he beat Cam Chancellor, mm-hmm. um, and it would have been a I think it would have been a touchdown. Um, at the very yeah, least, yeah, it was a seam route. I yeah, think. at yeah. least it would have been a 25, 30 yard completion. And Earl Thomas was on the op, was on the opposite side. I think they were like a too high, you mm-hmm. know, a too high look. Um, and Earl Thomas had the left half of the field, and Earl Thomas sees uh, McKinnon. Let's say it was McKinnon beating. Cam Chancellor sees Teddy Bridgewater look at him throwing the ball and not only reacts right away but takes the perfect route um covers covers enough ground and gets there just 
in enough time to to make contact with McKinnon and, and, and knock, knock the, the ball. ball down. And like that's when people want to talk about scheme versus talent with regards to the Eagles. And and I, I heard a lot of people. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, this is all you know. This is all Billy Davis's fault. You know, this 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 Eagles defense has talent. We just need to put them in the right positions. Yada yada yada. You know, I agree with that to some extent, but. There's they something don't, to be said for They don't that. have Earl Thomas. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I, people want to make that assertion fine. Over the course of the season as a whole, they just flat out gave too many points up for me to believe. That. Right, but what I'm saying is they have a lot of solid players, and, and this gets back to the X-Factor thing. Earl Thomas has right. that X-Factor. Um, you know, he can do that. Yeah. You know, and you can't test for that. Like, you can't, you can't. You can't get that out of the combine. You can't see whether a guy can do that out of a combine because it requires him. And this was Nate Allen's huge. I mean, Nate Allen's had a lot had a lot of weaknesses, but you could like literally see him processing these synapses yeah, like yeah, like firing in like, his brain. firing like a uh, like you needed to like press the choke button a few times. You know, like he could not react like that. He also couldn't run like that. But they don't have that. Whatever that is, you can't measure it on a football field. You can't measure it on a practice field. You can't measure it on a combine. You, you know, you don't see it in college because there just aren't enough uh, instances like that. The thing about the NFL is things like yeah. it's a game of inches like, you know, that people just don't have the opportunity to make those kinds of plays. And Earl Thomas, you know, to tie all of it together, uh, was drafted, I believe, in 2010 or 11. 10. Uh, just behind a guy named Brandon Graham. Right. Uh, and Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, I know that. I know where this is going. And I know that that the only guy who's involved in this whole thing, well, there's two guys that have that were that have been involved in this whole thing that whole time, and who were here when that happened, and that was a guy named Howie Roseman, and then his boss Jeffrey Lurie. And I know, I think Jeffrey Lurie already absolved Howie Roseman of those drafts and said that we yep. we should only judge him starting in 2012. But you know, whatever, he was here for that, and and adding one Earl Thomas to a secondary can 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 do wonders. For a defense because it really opens up a scheme. Yeah, it's it does. And I think you're getting to something, which is actually the second thing I kind of noted out of the weekend. Um, it's it's knowing it's more than knowing what you need as a as a football roster and a football team. It's kind of knowing your um, surroundings, so to speak. Because the, I'll put it this way: like if you're if you're the Seattle Seahawks and you've got a team built around you know, let's say you've got Marshawn Lynch and you've got Russell Wilson, who's a young quarterback who, you know, is short and can move around. And so your offense isn't necessarily, from a passing standpoint, isn't necessarily always going to be kind of rhythmic and reliable all the time. You know, you saw that Sunday, you know, he was not good for three quarters, made a good play in, late in the game, and they're able to, to eke out a win because Blair Walsh misses a field goal. But the point is that you're going to build your, t- you, you need to have an idea of, um, what is going to what has the best chance of working well for your team? Okay, and the thing I wrote down out of the weekend, uh, which pertaining to the Eagles was weather. Okay, the idea that if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you're going to be playing outside in Minnesota, you better have a team that can play well outside in Minnesota. And what does that mean? That means having a fierce defense. It means being able to run the ball when push comes to shove. It doesn't mean that you you build your entire offense around Adrian Peterson. It means that if you need to go to that, you can. Um, and I again, getting back to the Eagles, I haven't seen them do that in a long while. They didn't even really do it with Andy Reid. They kind of sort of did it, and they could do it to a certain extent in that they had Deuce Staley and Brian Westbrook, and they had a really good defense so that when things got you know rough and tumble in December um, – you could give the ball to Westbrook, give the ball to Deuce Staley, count on that defense to hold the team under 17 points, and and count on Donovan McNabb to make just enough plays for you to win a game. Um, but they certainly don't have that now. This was certainly not a team built around the idea of, hey, it's Philadelphia. We're not going to be playing in 70-degree weather. We don't have a dome. You know, you see this. This is kind of the new trend in baseball. You saw what the Kansas City Royals did to turn themselves into a really good you know, team and to become world champions, they built them, you know, they play 81 games in their ballpark. They're going to build a team that will do well in their ballpark. Um, and the Eagles don't do that. The Eagles have not done that in a long time. So what's the answer? I mean, more, I mean, I th- what, what, what is that? I think the answer is looking, f- trying to find, um, I think it's trying to find players who 
would succeed in the most adverse of circumstances relative to what they're going to encounter in the NFL. I always think, and you know, I always think about, um, there's a famous story in New York about why Ernie Acorsi drafted Eli Manning. And it was because Ernie Acorsi went to a game at Ole Miss and watched Manning bring Ole Miss back from like a ridiculous deficit against an SEC powerhouse, and they won the game. And, and Acorsi's logic was, you know, that was all I needed to see is this idea of Ole Miss is just a, a bottom feeder in the SEC for year after year after year. They always have been. And Eli goes there, and they are, and because of him, they are going toe-to-toe with Tennessee when Tennessee's good and Florida when Florida's good and all those other teams. So I can bring him to New York and put him in Giants Stadium, and if I put the right pieces around him, we're going to be fine because that this guy will not let, you know, will be good enough to overcome the wind, the cold, the, the lousy running backs maybe, or whatever the case may be. He, he will have enough. If we need him, if we need him to get us there, and I don't know that the Eagles look for guys on that basis. Maybe they do, and they have a tough time finding them. But I haven't seen that yet. You know, I haven't seen them go after a guy for those kinds of reasons. And Philadelphia, to me, is a market that demands that you do that. That demands that you get somebody who, you know, is is going to be faster on the sub-zero degree day than everybody else is. All right, I'll say that. What? Go ahead. I have one. Small counter argument to your Eli Manning sure. point. Was he not the number one overall pick in the draft? Yeah. The Eagles haven't had a pick high enough, I wonder, to get the guy that you're right, talking that, about. That was just a for instance, I think. But it's a, it's a for instance in the sense of, uh, my, yeah. I mean, he's the number one pick in the draft, but the Giants also had the number four overall pick, and they were willing to do whatever they had to do to get him, including trading, you know, Phillip Rivers. Which, sure. you, you know. Yeah. Here's what I think. I think that the I think. I think those guys only show themselves. The guys you're talking about, like mm-hmm. I, I think, like the, a guy you're talking about is like a Rob Ninkovich on on the Patriots. I, I would think, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think those guys, you know, in order for Rob Ninkovich to be able to be on the field and not be a liability, he needs to have the kind of guys around him who have that X factor type NFL talent. Because that's again, like you look at the Patriots, they have you know Vince Wilfork. They, they had Vince Wilfork. I'm not saying, um, I'm, I'm not looking for like gritty gutty necessarily. I'm looking for guys who, who are, ta- I mean, nobody would deny Eli Manning was a unbelievably talented college quarterback. Right. But if you have the, cho- like if you're in a position to choose him or Phillip Rivers, maybe the, the, the tie breaking decision is I saw what Eli did in these situations or I see, it could be anything. I, I, I you know, I just, it seems to me that there is a, that that the teams that the Eagles have built lately, the the dream team, mm-hmm. you know, team with Asante, like you're going to build the, you're going to build a team around Asante Samuel and Dominique Rogers Cromartie in the right. defensive backfield, as opposed to like, look, it's freaking cold in Philadelphia in December. Like teams aren't going to throw the ball on you anyway, even if you get to that point. Yeah, you know. But I think, but I think, I I think again, like that, it, it, I think it comes down to a continuity of personnel strategy. And that's one of the big reasons why. I mean, like the, the Steelers have those guys, but if you take those guys, like again, like Mike Wallace looked like that kind of guy when he was with Pittsburgh, but you take him off of Pittsburgh, mm. and he's not necessarily that guy. Uh, you know, Martavis Bryant is not. You know, I don't know that he's a guy you look at and say, ah, you know, w- w- you know, when the temperature drops to zero, let me let me put Martav- the ball in Martavis Bryant's hand. I think that they, I think that they're able to build their team I, I think look I think it's they, they build their team around strong offensive and defensive lines mm-hmm. uh and instinctual um you know instinctual instinctual guys with noses for the ball and then I think everything else kind of answers itself and I think that maybe you know that's that that has been the, that ha- I'm not sure that it's anything um I don't I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know that you can like go look at a specific player and say uh, this guy has that thing you're talking about versus this guy doesn't have that thing you're talking about. I think it's, I think that de- that develops that that sense. Um, I don't develops know if it develops as a person as a person as a roster is filled out by the same people using the same personnel strategy. Um, and frankly, the front seven, the 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 offensive line and the front seven on the defense are where that identity comes from, and that frees up everybody else to, um, you know, play with that. And Andy Reid put a lot of priority. Yeah, no, they absolutely. Did. I mean, like, for for and, and, for, inst- for instance, like Malcolm Jenkins to me 
is exactly that kind right. of like, he, I agree. like to me yeah. he's that kind of guy uh you know connor barwin could be that kind of guy to me um you know i'm trying to think who else is you know fletcher cox again like that kind of guy i think it's more about just not having you know i think that it's more about just not having talent everywhere else and that was their problem you know their one of their problems under Andy Reid, uh, towards the end, was that they didn't have they didn't have that defensive line. Like they didn't they couldn't yeah. pressure the quarterback Which, once once, um, you know once they had a very special set of players under Jim Johnson, and once those players started to to leave, they, they weren't able to run his scheme as well because his scheme puts, puts guys on islands and requires them to play up to it. Yeah. Um, and, and they just weren't able to generate pressure with the front four, and they weren't able to stop the run. Um, I mean, stopping the run, they were like they were average like five yards. A carry his final year. It's, it's part of what surprised me about the end of Reed's tenure was that exactly because it had been so good for so much of Reed's tenure. And I haven't. I know that the Eagles have drafted some some linemen during Chip Kelly's tenure. I have not seen him put the kind of priority on it. No, I don't that, think they have drafted. No, I, I don't know. Who, I don't no, think they've drafted, they drafted ones Lane, as Lane Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, they, um, they did not draft an offensive lineman. But again, Lane, Lane let, Johnson. think about what those positions are. You know, they're positions where. You're not. It, it, there's positions where you can't really learn much out of the measurables. Uh, right. I mean, every offense, every yeah. offensive lineman is right. you know three hundred, three ten, three twenty. Every linebacker is you know six one, two forty, two fifty. You know, it doesn't matter how fast they are really. Um, so how you know you need someone in charge of your personnel department who can look at a player and say, he's got it. He doesn't. And, he, and, he who can say, he's Michael Kendricks. He's Jordan Hicks. What? Yeah, I mean that's to me. Kendricks and Hicks are the perfect, uh, you know, whatever. What's, well, what did you? What's, get? What, is, what are two opposites called? The per- perfect the not dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, they're the perfect yin and yang. What is it about Michael Kendricks that that has led him to to be not very good as a linebacker in the NFL? And what is it about Jordan Hicks that has allowed that this year? You know, you watched him for two games and you understood. You know, he's going to make this linebacking core better. Yeah. Well, what were your um? What were your takeaways then from from these games? Um, well, I mean, I already got into, I already got into a lot of them. One was that Sam Bradford would be, you know, Sam Bradford is better than five of the quarterbacks that mm. played on wildcard weekend. Um, the other one was that Earl Thomas, is Earl, you know, pretty darn good. when you look at these, again, when you look at these playoff teams, they have players that have that in, I think it all comes down to instinct, frankly. I mean, it's like Marcus Smith. I don't know how, I don't know if Marcus Smith has it and you kind of see it. You, you could even see it on the practice field a little bit. It's just that like. I'm not sure you what's can't going def- on. You cannot yeah. define the problem is you can't define it. Like Malcolm Jenkins has it. Like it, it watch Malcolm Jenkins defend a screen pass sometime. Like a bubble screen. Yeah. Like he's on it before um you know L- Richard Sherman had it yesterday. Um I don't know who it was. I think it might have been um uh what's the guy who's kind of got a weird name? Stefan uh Skylar Diggs. Yeah. Um I say weird name cuz the, the girl the Notre Dame girl's Skylar something. Skylar Diggins. Or, right. Uh, What's her name? You Whatever. Well, the people anyway, who went anyway, to Maryland anyway. who listen to this show are probably going to go yeah. parading anyway. down the street. Anyway, the it, was, is, it was the top side of the field. Top side of the field. Guy steps back. Teddy Bridgewater hits him, uh, and Richard Sherman is on top of him, behind the blocker. And like that's a play Malcolm Jenkins makes. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I mean, there's no way in the combine to measure how fast a guy can can run four yards. You know, after seeing what's going to happen, it just happens. You have to have somebody in charge of your personnel department. Who just can look at a can look at a player and say, he's got something, in addition to his talent, that makes him a higher probability, you know, than anybody else who doesn't and have gonna, it. And I, I think the yeah. Steelers, I think the Steelers have it and have shown it because they consistently find these wide receivers in the later rounds of the draft that end up working out their their succession from Santonio Holmes to Emmanuel, to Mike Wallace to Emmanuel Sanders to Antonio Brown, you know, now Martavis Bryant. Uh, they just they, they there's something. There's some set of eyes in that department that can look at a wide receiver and say, you know, this guy's got something in addition to his tools. You know, he he's one of the guys we should take a flyer on. Um, they have it with line, you know, like some some guys, you know, Patriots have it with linebackers. You know, Gerard Mayo, hmm. Dante Hightower, you know, Ninkovich even, um, Vrabel beforehand. Like they just, you know, I don't know if it's Belichick, I don't know if if if, if it's one of the if it's one of the personnel guys, but somebody can look at a linebacker and say, boom. That guy, you know, that guy can do what what uh, you know Kiko Alonso didn't do this year. You know, that guy can do what Kendricks doesn't do. You know, um, and it takes it's it's completely subjective. It's completely comparative. It's completely 
um, looking at something in one situation and comparing it to your memory of something in another situation. And that's what the Eagles don't have in general. So I think what you said is absolutely correct, but I think that it's just, it's correct because there's no simple way to do it other than to a build continuity um, in your personnel department, which the Eagles have not had since, uh, you know, really ever since Andy (laughs) Reid got here. Um, And and to build the right kind of continuity, because you got, again, you got to have a guy who, who, who can do that, who can spot that. Otherwise, and I think only five or six organizations have that. You know, I think the Packers have that. Maybe the Panthers have that. Um, but, but like the Falcons, for example, clearly don't have that because right. they've gone a decade without being able to add to their front seven. You know, um, I think I think most team NFL. The problem is most NFL teams are playing. It, it's just a crapshoot. It's it's looking at the measurables, you know, and and you know whatever, and taking a taking a chance, and then you got a fifty fifty shot as to whether the guy's going to be right, and then there's the guys. You know, in Seattle probably has it, Green Bay, Carolina, um, you know, New England, Pittsburgh. Arizona. Uh yeah, point. it looks like someone's someone in Arizona has it. Lately within the last those, three years. Those yeah. guys are playing on a different level because they actually have some sort of educated reason why this guy's gonna work and this guy's not. You said two things in the last few minutes that have uh, very much interested me. The Eagles need somebody. I said, I've, and I, first of all, you, I said like 75 things the last two minutes, and I only said two that interested you? Yes. The Eagles need somebody. He's like the Eagles need, player personnel department. Right, and you need a guy. <laughs> Who has been in charge of the Eagles player personnel this year? Chip Kelly. I don't know. Presumably Chip Kelly. And I, I mean, think that – I know it's dramatically oversimplifying things because I agree with a lot of what you said. But I keep as all that and the creative tension and the whatever else in the room as they're trying to make these decisions. I don't know who actually made the final call on this stuff. What stuff? The sign, the player. Per, I mean, like who drafted Chip. Marcus Smith? Who signed Marco right. Murray? Yeah, I mean, because it was one guy and there was another guy, and it was sometimes within the yeah. same season or the same week. It was a different. Yeah, guy. I mean, dude, pick somebody. It, yeah. it, it, and that's part of your point about consistency. Pick some a person. Yeah, there needs to be one person, but he all, but it needs to be a person who knows what he's doing. Right, and and, and it also. Oh, and I'm not convinced Ty Roseman knows what he's doing. No, but, but it also well, clearly the owner isn't either, which is why right. it was just the first sign that he shouldn't be doing it. Exactly, and and you know it also needs to be somebody who, you know, I think we get into this this thought process or people make this assumption that um, they need a person, and this person will have the final, you know, that this person will be right in every single judgment that he makes about which players to sign, which players to draft, which players to trade for, that sort of thing. You know, part of this, the idea of of discussing things, having people around you who you, have, who you trust and who you have reason to trust is, is a big part of this. You know, the issue is not that the Eagles have placed a lot of power in one particular person in their player personnel department, at least ostensibly that's how it would, the way it seems to be now. The issue people have is that that person is Howie Roseman. If that person is Bill Polian, we're having a different discussion because presumably Bill Polian can sit in a room, listen to his assistants, listen to his scouts, and say to this, to scout A, yeah, but you're not looking at it the way you really ought to look at it. Or he might say to scout B, you know, I wasn't looking at it the way I should be looking at it. You've persuaded me. Let's go with what you say. There's an element of judgment that has to go there. And I think what we're at, what, if you're an Eagles fan, what you're concerned about is it's not that there isn't one guy, although it seems like over the last year there wasn't. There is now one guy. It's Howie Rose. And it's the wrong guy. It's the it's wrong the funny guy. Thing, they made the right decision, but they put the power it's with the wrong, wrong guy. guy. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, Murph, but I think that's. I think I know how he feels about <laughs> it because he said it a couple times already. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think I think I've made my thoughts on Howie pretty clear. No, but my point, uh, but just that idea. That yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. We're all clamoring. The Eagles need to bring in a guy. The Eagles, need, the Eagles have already brought in a guy. They have. The, they didn't even bring him in. He's been here that, for right. a long, they need a long guy. time. Yeah. The question is whether he is the right guy, and right. it doesn't appear that he is. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. First, I'll say this: part of their problem is that there was a guy for a decade, and there was continuity, and, and it was Andy Reid. Um, everything in that organization flowed from Andy Reid between 2000 and 2010, 11, until whenever Joe Banner left, mm-hmm. um, until they started losing. Uh, once Donovan McNabb was traded, that was kind of, I mean, that was kind of the, that was when they started to 
you know, reevaluate themselves internally and, 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 you know, more voices enter the fray, how he kind of made his power move. Um, right. You know, and, 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 but for 10 years, that was the stability. Andy, Andy, Andy operated everything. I mean, he wasn't necessarily, um, you know, he wasn't obviously wasn't on the sideline at Kansas state practice watching the, you know, seventh potential undrafted free agents workout. But, you know, he was the guy that, 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 you know, he was Solomon, you know, he mm-hmm. was the guy who, and, and that's really what, what that one guy needs to do. A, he needs to outline a person, overall personnel philosophy again with the Steelers. They have very much built a team like, like you were talking about, right. you know, we, we need a team that can play, you know, in the slop on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, and then we need to put guys with, with that X factor around them who have, who have one or two, pl- who, who, who can make plays. Yeah. Because, I mean, the philosophy, and again, to get back to what we were talking about originally, the, the one thing I, you know, ph- philosophically, what I took out of um, this week was that, um, you know, I, I think in general, regardless of the climate in which you play, that might be the best way to build an NFL team these days, which is to uh, be able to play in any condition, um, to be able to win the physical battle between the hash marks, between the tackles, in the front seven and on the offensive line, um, particularly in the front seven, because, at, and then if you if you simply add players at the rest of their, your positions that are capable of making big plays, then that's a recipe for success. Uh, you know, Seattle, um, you know, they scored ten points. They had a defense though that that kept them in position to make one big play, right? And they did. Um, now, Doug, I mean, that catch by Doug Baldwin again. Like, is there somebody on, on the Eagles that makes that catch? I don't. I know. don't know. Uh, I don't know. But like, but but again, like Pittsburgh, and that's that's been Pittsburgh's better the better example. Um, you know, they've always put a lot of emphasis on their offensive line and their front seven, and then they've kind of you know cobbled together the rest, and. You know the one thing they've been successful at doing is, is is cobbling together those wide receivers who can make big plays. Um, again, Artavis Bryant, Antonio Brown. You know, and, and in Brown's case, they got lucky and, and hit on an all timer. Yeah. Um, that's you know under Reed. I'm not, you know I, I think his philosophy was very much the offensive line. Yeah, um, you it, know, it absolutely they, was. But they, it, they built it from the inside out. They said right. we've got we've got McNabb. What's our first big move after we get McNabb? We need to get a right tackle to help protect him. Right. We sign John Runyon, and then we're off and running. Yeah, his 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 philosophy, I think you would say, would be, you know, offensive line and secondary. That's yeah. where that's where the Eagles' identity came from. Um, that's where they spent the bulk of their draft picks. That's where you know whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that's the you know, I'm not sure that's the way to go. But but they, you need to go somewhere. And to, to roundaboutly answer your question, um, I'm not sure that the Eagles have picked a guy. I think that this has just been like another indecision, mm-hmm. moment of indecision, where it's like, well, you know, we've decided, we, we decided we're not happy with Chip Kelly, so, you know, inertia means Howie Roseman's back there, you know. But what they really need is, is to, to, to say, hey, um, you know, they need to turn it over to someone who's yeah. got some experience, to an yeah, adult. Yeah, they do. I mean, let's face it. They should be interviewing. This is and this is the question. This is the remarkable thing about about the way this all works is is they should be interviewing. They should be interviewing people for the top job in their organization the same way they're interviewing head coaches. They should be asking those yeah. people the exact same questions. They should be saying, "How would what do you think? How do you think an NFL roster should look in 2016? You know, how how would you build a team? What is your draft philosophy? Who mm-hmm. would you hire as scouts? You know, what positions do you prioritize? What's your opinion on draft value and i'm not sure why they don't do that yeah it's and part of the part of the reason i think to make an analogy that that you're familiar with and i'd be curious to get your your insight and take on is that i think we're all unsure even the the eagles themselves if you if you ask them if they answered honestly would say this nobody really knows where they are in terms of do you break the whole thing down and rebuild or is there something here that can be built up or whittled away a little bit to turn into something really good. And the analogy I was going to use was Pat Gillick. Mm-hmm. Okay. For all the other things that the Phillies got wrong um, towards the end of Gillick's time with them and how bad things got and the, and the whole idea of trying to chase championships by signing players and, and all the draft picks they missed on and, and all that sort of stuff. The brilliance of their hiring Pat Gillick in, in, after they fired Ed Wade in 2005 was that they recognized, look, what we have here is good. The question is, how do we get it to 
here. We're, we're, we're at level two. We want to get to level one. Gillick has done that. So we're going to trust him because he's done it before and has an eye for doing it to get us there. And he kind of stumbled into it in a way. You know, he traded away Bobby Abreu uh, and Corey Lytle, and everybody kind of thought, okay, well, they're rebuilding. Well, it turned out that that was the thing they needed to turn the team over to Rollins, Howard, and Utley. But he then made some very astute moves that got them to where they wanted to go. And at the time, in that little window of time, from knocking on the door of 86 wins a year for three or four years there, they got to where they wanted to go. They, they made the next jump. The problem with the Eagles is that I don't think anybody has a clear understanding or recognition of where are you right now? How close are you really? You know, and that that's an issue. Yeah, I mean, from from a from a, a theoretical standpoint, I think there's there's a comparison, you know, in that abstract sense that you last you know said there, that that's what the Eagles need. The Eagles need an identity the same way they again they need a personnel department that has the same identity as a offense, you know, as a, whatever Andy Reid's offense, Chip Kelly's yeah. offense. It needs to be, you know, a personnel department that because again, rosters are built, you know, drafts drafts affect each other. You know, yeah. rosters are built, you know over time and and it, a lot of it are, are odds you know I, I if you look at the if you look at the wide receivers the Steelers drafted they missed on a lot too yeah. but they but they consistently draft the same type of player and at some point you know they they hit right and um the Eagles just don't there's been no rhyme like you said there's been no rhyme or reason to the uh to the Eagles draft and I'm not sure beyond that the problem with baseball is is I mean the problem with football is is, is the rebuild is a lot, 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 lot quicker. There's a lot less yeah. you could do through free agency, which is where Gillick excelled. Right. Um, you know, Worth, Dobbs, the the, the bullpens. Yeah. Um, you know, he 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 made those. You know, he had that memory where right. you know I saw Jason Worth do this once. I know that he has it. You mm-hmm. know, we might as well take a shot on him. That they need someone who can do that with regards to the draft. Right. Um. So yes, the problem is, I don't know that they understand that they need that you know because right hey i don't know they you're right they don't understand that i don't think they understand they need that because laurie laurie wouldn't have fired kelly if he thought that this was a team that wasn't ready to compete he thought we're we we should be an elite nfl team and they clearly were not and chip put us in this position so therefore we got to fire him the question they haven't answered is is what is here now from a roster standpoint can somebody with some tweaking so to speak turn this into something really good yeah i mean my thing with the nfl is is you know you're always only a year away um you know i do you know yeah i think i think that the right guy can come in here and and i mean they have to get lucky on a couple offensive linemen that's that's you know mm-hmm. that's pretty clear um but yeah there, there's there's really no, never such no such thing as rebuilding in the nfl um and frankly i think they started to you have to rebuild on the fly in the NFL, and, and the irony is, I think they actually started to do that by getting rid of Jackson and, and LaShawn McCoy. Um, yeah. Again, I'm in the minority on that opinion, but whatever. What? The, but again, they, they they need they need that they just need they need stability in the front office. And the problem the problem they have right now is they have a guy in Howie Roseman who knows that if they realize they need that guy, he's out. Because right. he's not that guy. Right. Like he doesn't have that, you know. Like he, he just doesn't have that. Um, which is frankly, I, you know, I I hesitate to place the whole thing on Howie Roseman, but it, it's a big part of it. You know, the fact that he's managed to stay in power and 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 stay around just tells me that there's been a lot sacrificed that could have improved this organization because it would have meant displacing Howie. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's he's clearly got the owner's ear. He's clearly got a feel for how the game's got to be played. He's clearly read. I'm not sure I agree with that point. But he's go ahead. he's clearly read The Prince by Machiavelli. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, and 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 there, you know, organization a house divided, an organization divided can't. You know, you can't divide yourself between two goals. And if the goal is to keep Howie Roseman in power, um, you know, you're sacrificing build the best organization you can. And I think that, you know, when you ask, do they realize it? Do they have that guy? The problem is the guy, you know, the, this guy has consolidated his power who isn't that guy. And he really hasn't, is not incentivized to say, yeah, you know, we need a guy that's better than right. me. I'm going to cross-examine a little bit again here as I did earlier. You said, do well, first they, of all, what time, what time, how long have we been going anyway? 
We going eh, better long now. enough. All right, all right, the but listeners, go ahead. All right, go ahead. The listeners are happy so far. You said they, do they. I'm going to say, does he, Jeffrey Lurie. Mm-hmm. What? And I'm going to stop it there. What? In terms of who realizes what the person is no, Jeffrey that, Lurie. No, clearly he doesn't. I mean, no, he re- clearly doesn't Well, that's, that's, that's going to be... That's yeah, going to hold everything up. But that's my point is that they well, have why, a guy, whether they like it or not. Right. You but, know. but that's why you look at organization. And again, this is why I've said from the beginning, you know, from days before Chip Kelly was fired, uh, you know, the Eagles are on the verge of turning into one of those organizations that just can't get out of their own way and are just consistent, mediocre to losers uh, because this is how it happens. And until this proven, is how until happens. proven when, otherwise, it's all on Jeffrey Lurie. When, when you, well, yeah, and that's, but that's how, that is how it happens, it happens. in the NFL. Right. When you have a... Owner like Stephen Ross with the Dolphins, who are who have basically turned into the Raiders East. Um, you know, before them, the Raiders, which took the old man dying for them yeah. to, to to finally start change you know changing direction. Well, Dan Snyder shut up and they finally uh, won a division. Uh, yeah, but they. Yeah, I mean, they. Let's, let's let's calm down with the Reds. Let's, let's yeah, let's relax with the Redskins. Remember, three years ago they I'm, won the division I too. I'm anno- I'm I'm annoyed that a team as bad as them won that division. Right. Whatever. But what I'm saying is like you. As soon as I say that organization, that perpetual loser, uh, you know, that joke of an organization, you think, you know, you think of uh, the Browns, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Lions, you know, the Lions, the Bills to a certain extent. Like, this is how it happens. This is how it happens. You get trapped in this cycle of, you know, this cycle of wanting to, you know, change for the sake of change, um, you know, rather than identifying a leader and getting out of his way and allowing him to build sustained success, which is, it, it's, it's ironic because they did it under um, Andy, Andy Reid. And, and the only thing that, and again, the only constant, you know, the only conclusion that makes sense is that, you know, Reid left, Banner left, and Howie Roseman's not, you know, secure enough to do that. You know, right. they, they, Joe Banner was secure enough to say, Andy, you handle the football side of things. I'll sit here, do my contracts, do the dirty work. And stuff. tell you how much you have to spend yeah. and whether we can keep exactly. this guy or not. Exactly. Um, you know, but, but, but Andy was that whatever. But again, the other factor with that too is they had a quarterback who they had targeted. Yeah. You know, it allow, once you have that guy, it allows you to do the kind of things that they did because you're not chasing Right. And frankly, personnel was not a, a strength of that Eagles organization. Um, you know, you could argue, I mean, they, they went, they went, McNabb's entire career, uh, you know, with with the kind of receivers that that you know Sam Bradford had this year, you know, the, mm-hmm. Andy was not a great personnel guy in my opinion, um, but he was enough of a, you know, it, the continuity was enough that that they managed to build yeah. something. And right now they need they need a voice like that. They need a guy who, um, you know, can can outline one five ten year plans with regards to the draft philosophy, you know with regards to smart free agent signings. I mean, look at the Packers. They have like five non-homegrown yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, but, Everybody they but, have. But is to accomplish grown. that, you need a guy who's, A, know that he's got all the power to do, you know, what needs to be done, who can't be drafting to save his job. Well, the only problem this year, Howie Roseman's going to go into this draft thinking that he needs to hit a home run, you know, to save his job. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. What do you mean? What indication do you have that his job would be in jeopardy? Um, I mean, just the fact that, I you know I don't know I mean the fact that that a he was demoted the last time I mean he I, I think yeah but he was I think guys like how I'm he, with Mike I he, think he was I demoted think, when the yeah. alternative when the when the preferred alternative was to fire him was to say goodbye to him yeah and they didn't fire him they kept him around which you I mean and, and reportedly was telling people don't worry I'll be back I'll be back if anything that firing that that dismissal turned out or demotion turned out to have emboldened him and it sure sounded like I remember at the time thinking. This message is from Jeff Lloyd to Chip Kelly. Okay, you try your way. If it doesn't work, I'm going back to my guy. Yeah. Well, whatever. All I th- all I know is that, um, you know, all I know is that guys guys like how I think a certain way, and mm-hmm. it's always um, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> not always, but it's getting <laughs> close. Just, it looks like. Yeah, you know, it's it's they 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 operate with the fear of of you know somebody else supplanting them. You know, and I think that's not a good way to run a draft. You know, I'm not put it this way. I'm not sure that Howie's ever got the mindset of of, you know, building for five years from now. Do you know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. You're saying he's paranoid. Yes. And we're saying it's possible for him to be paranoid even when he doesn't have a reason to be. Right. Um, but at some point, I mean, you you would think at some point, you know, Lurie, 
I don't know. I, you can't really. The problem is like these guys, they've never lived in the real world, so it's tough to really know what they think. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Larry's never really built anything. You know, I mean, he, he was born a billionaire. That must be nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't you fault You could buy a newspaper with that money. I don't you fault could. the guy. You could buy like. Yeah. You buy more than one newspaper you with buy that about, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> buy about 100 newspapers at this point. All right, well, you, you know, you, you can buy a podcast too because it's free, thank yeah. God. We're number 56, is that right? Oh, yeah. We're number 56 on the iTunes uh, Sports and Recreation. We're the number 56 podcast. Number 56 with a bullet. Thank you all for in the Sports and Recreation category. I will say this. We we are a more popular Sports and Recreation podcast, according to the iTunes rankings, than Serial. Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah. we need, you know what we because, need to do? Because Serial is not a Sports and Recreation podcast. Well, yes, that's true. Right, yes. But that, that eliminates the idea of having to bring like murder and death into this podcast to make it more interesting because clearly we don't need it. Uh, that, that's, that's the most positive thing that's been said on this show in a good while, it I is. think. It is. All right. So, well, uh, so much for, ideas, on, so much for our that, top idea for next week's show. On that note, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to back slowly out of the okay. office. I'm going to go be a communist for a few days. Sounds good. All right. Later. Thank you.